Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our watch through of The Magicians, looking at Season 3, Episode 7, Poached Eggs. Britt, why don't you start us off with a recap? The episode opens with Margot and Elliot secretly taking the stolen fairy eggs to break bills, along with Quentin and Poppy. They all find Alice collapsed, and Dean Fogg explains that she's going through magic transplant rejection. Alice is so desperate to keep the magic that she pays a vampire to turn her. However, with the aid of a mysterious powdered magic that Julia gets from Irene McAllister, she's able to stop Alice from being turned. Alice lashes out, knocking Julia out, and by the time Julia wakes up, Alice has transferred the magic back to her. Returning to the quest for the Seven Keys, Quentin asks Penny to retrieve Benedict's key in the underworld by hitching a ride in the library dragon, the bookworm. To pull off the retrieval, they break Katie out of the psychiatric hospital to help get Harriet and Traveler Victoria on the team. Elliot and Margot hide the stolen fairy eggs in the physical cottage and tell the fairy queen she has 24 hours to make a deal with them so all Florians can see her, thereby ending her invisible reign. However, Frey discovers the eggs and tells the fairy queen the whole plot. In the process of negotiations, Frey confesses she's not Elliot and Fenn's actual daughter. The Fairy Queen finally accepts the deal, but it doesn't have the desired effect because there is already so much discontent in Fillory. The episode ends with an angry Fillorian mob carrying Elliot and Margot away. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. What are your magic moments for this episode? Well, there's obviously some great lines. Yes, always. When Todd accidentally calls Elliot dad. Very good. He's, like, two years older than you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, Penny saying, I gotta go be a book and get eaten by a dragon is just so the magician. Yeah, what a great way for him to get into the underworld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, combining all the lore that we know about the underworld and the library. but And dragons. And dragons in this ridiculous way. It's excellent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, the ending line of the episode as Margot is being carried off. Yes. I'm your queen, you motherfuckers. It's just the way that Margot would express exactly <laughs> being upset about this situation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a how dare you, but also a earth curse thrown at them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. She's not like, hey, let's talk about this. (laughs) You don't have to do whatever you're going to do. She's furious. Exactly. (laughs) Do you know how much I have done for you (laughs) that you never asked for? (laughs) (laughs) We're not doing a crazy ex-girlfriend podcast right now. No, we're not. But maybe we should. (laughs) Also, just the moments surrounding Penny and Katie working together. Mm. So good. So, aww. Absolutely. (laughs) They're heart to heart. They're working so quickly and so well together to get her out of Mm -hmm. the room that she's in by using the key and the guard. And, you know, it's just, it's really great and delightful and, like... It's been a really long time since we've gotten to see them really interact uh, for more than a well, short one of them's scene. not dying. Yeah. <laughs> we also get to see, like, the charm of their relationship. Mm-hmm. The joking, the laughing, which, you know, really sheds light on Katie saying, like, I can't be happy without you because we see how happy she is with him. Even when she's not happy, mm-hmm. he still brings in this joy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also think it's good that it shows to what was said when Penny died and Katie was just like, Penny wasn't one of you. Mm. The kind of marginalized place that they have in the group. I think we really see here why they would feel that way and why that's accurate because 
The others only, or most of the others, only really go to Katie or Penny when they need something from them. Yeah. Even when Katie or Penny are in trouble, the trouble they're in is never prioritized by the rest of the group. They're the only two that prioritize each other's trouble. Yeah, going back to season two where Penny has to be like, my hands are in this box. I need to get these fixed. You know, nobody is thinking about or prioritizing that. And yeah, we see that yet again, Katie is stuck in this psychiatric hospital and nobody went to get her. Nobody went to see her. No one, you know, until they needed something from her. Mm Mm-hmm. Alice was the only one recently that was going to do anything for Penny without asking something from him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense why they feel like they're not a part of the group in the same way. Absolutely, yeah. Granted, you know, obviously, Penny's demeanor doesn't always help foster those connections and relationships. But you also, I also understand why he has that more abrasive tackles up um yeah just uh, i like that they still show what's going on as a more consistent follow-through rather than it constantly changing how they interact with the group or the group interacts with them which some shows can do you know and totally bugs me (laughs) also another follow-through that i appreciated is just that Quentin has gotten into his habit of trying to help save the damsel in distress. He wants to stay and help Alice, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And Julia's just like, uh, you can't help here, dude. Like, leave. <laughs> but, like, that's his impulse. And, you know, I appreciate that he listened to her. Like, that's showing some growth, I think, on his part. But it doesn't mean that his automatic inclination has changed yet. Because Absolutely. those things take time. Yeah. But I also love how Julia knows him so well that she knows that the way to get him to go away and do something else is being like, we're all counting on you to save magic. Like, you know, giving him a different kind of responsibility and quest instead of feeling like he has to be there for Alice. Yeah. Yeah. But what about you? What are your magic moments? Yeah, I also had some some other great lines uh, when Elliot and Margot meet up with Quentin and Poppy. And they're, like, explaining what happens, and Elliot just says, like, skip the recap, <laughs> uh, which is, you know, another great meta line. Mm-hmm. Right after we skip the recap. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> also, I love that he has a little bit of a bite to his tone, mm. that he seems a little annoyed that Quentin just shows up with some random young woman, you know, after the go be life partners with somebody else for a time. And, you know, just this new person comes in and it's like a gray. Who's this? You know? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was laughing a lot when fog was talking to Julia and she was trying to explain again, why she's giving up the magic. And he says that he'll file it under entitled millennial bullshit. I know. Which I'm like, okay, fuck. Yeah, I wrote down, okay, boomer. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's probably Gen X, but... Still. But still, yeah. Gen X and boomers love to categorize millennials as entitled. And it's like, entitled? So much was just handed to you. What are you talking about? (laughs) You ruined our chances at a planet for the future Mm -hmm. as well as a financial security and all that jazz but yes very much the attitude of other people exactly which i think is like good tension for one of the only main characters who's not a millennial to have like in how he writes off the main characters Mm -hmm. uh you know and as we discussed last episode fog feeling disrespected Mm -hmm. uh you know at one point he says What's the point of lying to you? You people are just going to do what you want to do regardless. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, I understand that frustration, but it's also like Fog's not really doing anything. At least they're trying something, which I think is another element of that kind of barbed, entitled 
jab at, at young people of like, what do you mean you're asking for a greater minimum wage or better protections <laughs> for the environment? You're so entitled to things. And it's like, no, we have to fight for these things because you didn't. You gave up and you're just fine with the status quo that screws us over. Yeah, that serves you and screws us. Exactly. Yeah. Or even if it doesn't serve you, like in Fogg's case, you're just like, that's just how it is. It's, no. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I just I thought that was a fun a fun little line. And then I just loved Jason Ralph's performance as Quentin this whole episode. He's so unhappy with every single thing he's doing. <laughs> every part of it, he's just like frustrated. He doesn't want to be begging Penny to help. He's not excited about the heist about Katie, right? Like it's not like he's all like, well, this is what's going to happen next. The very end he's just like, oh yeah, Katie's not gonna steal it. I'll steal it. But he's just so downcast and so frustrated and stressed about everything failing. Penny has notes big sigh. Yeah. (laughs) Just all of it I think is is again such a great contrast to him in the beginning of the last episode (laughs) where he was on a boat and his quest was so adventurous and all these other kinds of things and now he has to deal with people he doesn't want to deal with and he's worried about Alice and he's just upset and I think that yeah Jason Ralph does a great job of even though the character never has these like explicit lines that say well I don't want to do this I'm I'm angry rarely has those every line he delivers communicates that so well (laughs) Well, yeah, we know that he does not like to be held up with details. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But let's head into our next segment on setting in society. What did you bring? Yeah, one of the things I was thinking about is Frey's perspective on humans. Mm. We don't get all of the details of it, but she does say, just when I was starting to think humans aren't all bad, they steal babies that obviously communicates that she was socialized to think that humans are all bad. Yeah. You know, and even being a part of Fillory, children of Earth are <laughs> a particular problem. Mm-hmm. So then when she is suddenly interacting with humans from Earth for quite a while, staying with them, and then doesn't only interact with them in Fillory, but then goes to Earth and is able to see this for the first time. Go around to Times Square Mm -hmm. and see a Broadway show and, you know, do all of these things that are just exposing her to a completely unknown and unimagined reality. How, yeah, affecting that can be to leave the place where all of the socialization has happened for you uh, particularly negatively against certain communities and then interacting with people of those communities and how that can change a lot of things. Mm-hmm. You know, when people go to another country and they see things being done differently, they see different customs and cultures and different ideas of hospitality and, you know, all of these different aspects uh, that if you grew up in a community that just had some monolithic, flattened, unnuanced perspective of that country or whatever, it would be shattering to that mm-hmm. sort of idea. And so, yeah, I think it's interesting that she's going through that, but at the same time, we still feel the, the judgment or the, it, at the very least, not getting, you know, Fen is so excited about everything she yeah. saw. And... Frey is just like, yeah, we saw cats, but it was just people dressed up as cats, you know, just like, it's not very impressive. She comes from a place where animals can talk Mm -hmm. and, you know, stuff like that. But then I think it's also realistic that we see then when she finds these stolen fairy eggs, it's this one thing that she sees this one negative thing that now she's reverting to those ideas that she was socialized with. She's judging everyone in the community by 
the actions of one person, mm-hmm. right? Which is what is often done with racism in particular. Yeah. And, uh, and xenophobia and things like that. Yeah. And the unnuanced actions mm-hmm. where she sees it as kidnapping and she sees that as awful. And yeah, I think a blanket statement, kidnapping is bad. <laughs> but at the same time, they're using this as a way of trying to balance the scales when they are being controlled and puppeted and threatened all the time. So yeah, there's more to it in the same way that, yeah, you might see things from other communities or other perspectives that you might immediately judge a certain way. But leaning into that judgment means that you are not asking the questions of why is this the case? What's Mm -hmm. happening to cause this beyond just they're bad? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we see so much of that happening right now, clearly with Gaza and Mm -hmm. Palestinians and Hamas and how all three of those are different things, but so often get conflated. You can't have an informed opinion or uh, ideas about what's going on if you don't learn (laughs) about Mm -hmm. why. Yeah. Yeah. One other thing that I found insightful about this, about Frey's interaction with Earth and with humans there, though, was not just, yeah, kind of being judgmental about Earth and cats and all these other kinds of things, which, you know, obviously is paid for laughs and has some funny things, but I think it's also helpful that she's able to bring a more critical lens on society Mm -hmm. when that is so often seen as inappropriate or is overwhelmed by the the wonder and splendor of being able to not just see a Broadway show, but to go eat pizza and have these other kinds of things Mm -hmm. that, you know, where people will focus so much on just the comforts and the experiences that they were able to gain without thinking of like, oh, but there's also huge economic inequality here. There's Mm -hmm. also issues with labor. There's also issues with animal cruelty. There's also, you know, all these Mm -hmm. other kinds of things that go in there. And I appreciate that both Frey and Fen are shown to be naive in being so positive or negative and that there needs to be a balance of those because Fenn's over positivity about New York is also a very limited perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate, you know, even though, again, it's these kinds of small throwaway lines, the writers are still including some really interesting elements of Frey's story as she is yeah, encountering these new communities and these new experiences. Yeah, definitely. And another thing here that actually frustrates me is Fen's reaction to Frey's distress at seeing these kidnapped mm-hmm. fairy eggs. She says, humans are complicated. Sometimes good people can make bad decisions, which, okay, we need to qualify what is a good person Uh, What do you mean by bad decisions? Mm -hmm. Um, Bad personal life decisions, bad (laughs) decisions for your career, violent decisions. You know, that is just kind of a blanket. Let's say this and not actually critically think about these things. Yeah. And then she says, you just need to trust Elliot did this for a very good reason. Why? Why does Frey need to trust that Elliot did this for a good reason? She barely knows this person. Mm-hmm. Fen doesn't know why he did it. Why is that the advice you're giving to someone who just found something distressing instead of, we need to ask him why he did this? Yeah. You should always be asking the question. You shouldn't just believe like, oh, well, I think he's a good person, so he must have had a good reason for this. Instead of, he did this, and it's surprising to me because I didn't think that he was a person who would do something like this, so I need to find out why he did this, Mm -hmm. what was his reasoning, and then I can decide whether to condemn that action or not. You know, that's not what Fen advises Frey to do, which is very frustrating. And she says family is about loyalty. Why? Why is family about loyalty? 
according to who? You? Mm-hmm. So then that's law. According to your father who raised you, you know, before she had been a part of the Foo Fighters. And that's not loyal to her future husband, her wife, and the Valorian monarchs. And, and, and then in the end, she did choose to go against the Foo Fighters to be loyal to Elliot. But why? Mm-hmm. You know? And so, yeah, I, I'm just was very frustrated with those interactions. But I think societally, these types of ideas are very common in society. It's like you're supposed to be loyal to your family. You're supposed to you just trust people did things for a good reason because they're a good person. And it's like, what? Why? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and sure, maybe if you have a relationship with that person, your first act should be to talk to that person about why they did it to ask them. Of course. But that should be a confrontation, not a, I know this was for a right reason, right? But could you just explain it to me? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you need to demand answers and challenge them for what they did. And then maybe go to another authority if if that's required. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the idea that you should just accept and assume everything is fine is uh, problematic at best. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Yeah, on that note, I think I'm a little frustrated with how that turned out for Frey. That, you know, this episode kind of asks the question, you know, is Frey a human, is Frey a fairy? And Mm -hmm. Frey, there's some conflict there, but feels that she is culturally a fairy, even if Mm -hmm. she's not biologically a fairy. And even though she has been mistreated by fairies at times... She also has a great deal of loyalty there, a great deal of identity with that group. And the end of that story, at least in this episode, is her then choosing to side with Elliot and the other humans because the fairy queen threatened her and the fairy queen showed that she doesn't value her as a member of their community and and things like that. And like, maybe if there are actually going to explore more of that longer, it would be better. But especially without that, it just feels like that character's story is completely taken out of their own hands. And mm-hmm. that ultimately she was always a human because because that biology for some reason means more than lived experience. And communities will always value that more. And that the fairy queen clearly values that more. And I just feel like that is such a simplistic way of looking at it that also further makes the fairy queen a less relatable character, a less complex Mm. character. Mm -hmm. But no, now she's just evil because she doesn't have a reason to, but she's just going to treat Frey this way. I just felt like it's, it's a, yeah, a weak ending to what had some really interesting dynamics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's also frustrating to see the way that Fen and Elliot react to the news that Frey isn't their biological child in that they kind of just write Frey off and focus so much more on the loss they had of the child during childbirth. I mean, I think that's what Fen does. I I don't really think that that's really what Elliot's doing because Elliot never thought that she was his daughter. He thought that she was planted, even though I think that he tried to be kind to her uh, Mm -hmm. and tried to be supportive of her. Elliot is more diplomatic and politically savvy. So he doesn't want harm to come to Frey, but he is going to use this information to his advantage in this situation to try to get everyone out of this alive and unmutilated and Mm -hmm. get the deal that they were pushing for. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I'm focused much more on their conversations afterwards. Yeah. You know, uh, where we're seeing more really of what they're revealing. And you're right, Fen is the one, and she even says she was trying to force a family. Mm-hmm. And I just would have loved to see her concerned about what happened to Frey mm-hmm. afterwards. Because, okay, you tried to force a family, but the feelings that you had there were real. You know, you thought she was your daughter, and you acted as if she was your daughter for weeks, months, Mm -hmm. you know, and 
Why and who is... cares if she's not your biological daughter? Mm-hmm. Why can't she be a foster kid for you? Because it seems like she's not safe with the fairy queen. Exactly. And she just risked her life to help you. And, mm-hmm. you know, all these other kinds of things that, yeah, I feel like, again, the kind of biological aspect is so forefronted here in a way that I think should have been handled differently. Yeah. Again, people do this in real life. Exactly. You know, yeah. which is, I think, terrible and shows that how much love do you have if you can only love something that is a part of you, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and if for Fen, family is about loyalty, well, she didn't show any to Frey, Mm -hmm. even when Frey showed some back to them. Yeah. So it dismantles her whole idea because then it's not about loyalty to Fen. It's about biology, Mm -hmm. which I think is pathetic. (laughs) Yeah. And causes harm in our society. Absolutely. Yeah. People don't want to foster kids. Mm -hmm. A couple other things, though, I wanted to chat about. When Elliot asked the Fairy Queen if her plan is the kind of typical terraform colonization type plan, Mm -hmm. the Fairy Queen responds that it's human privilege to see things so simply, Mm -hmm. which, again, I think opens up really interesting questions. You know, privilege is clearly an important element of society, and it's one that we don't see actually acting in this relationship between fairies and humans in Fillory, because... The fairies are the ones with all the power this season. Mm -hmm. And the question is, first off, what's threatening them and that Mm -hmm. power? But also, what was the experience like before magic was eliminated? Mm -hmm. And in what ways were the fairies underprivileged compared to humans? Those are all questions I think that those kinds of lines are, are really, really interesting in asking and which help the fairy storyline maintain its interest Mm -hmm. throughout the season because you know i I forgot how many episodes with the fairies there were and yet i am still intrigued by yeah even these small lines that are coming out yeah it continually hints at a nuance that we're not made fully aware of yet exactly but we know that there's still something going on there yeah and bringing back the idea because she says after that, the children of Earth have been making a mess of things for a long time. Mm-hmm. Which, bringing that back, it's not just a few things went wrong recently. Now we're angry. <laughs> it's There's such a long history of these colonizers coming in and ruining things for them. Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, seeing maybe the fairies more aligned with the Florians mm-hmm. uh, against the humans, potentially, in this instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also see unexpected effects of the union with the floating islanders who are now pillaging because mm-hmm. they see Margot's marriage to Fomar as meaning Fillory is now theirs, mm-hmm. which, again, shows the limits of a quote-unquote matriarchal society. That kind in of the, the floating... desperate times. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I just think that it's a uh, another way that the rush to have Margot marry a floating mountain prince made it so that they weren't able to ask questions about that society. They only mm-hmm. got the briefest of glimpses of what it means for a society to respect women and to see women as leaders. Well, it doesn't mean everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I just I find that that very fascinating. Also, I think it <laughs> points out that just having a large military is not enough for a society to survive. Mm-hmm. So the whole reason that was put forth by the Fairy Queen is like, you need to marry into this group because they have 4,000 spears. And so they could come and take things by force. But, you know, as magic failed, their mountain fell to the ground. If they don't have food, water, the resources they need to survive and feed that army, Mm -hmm. then it doesn't do anything for them, right? And so it's like, you know, it's also 
a nice little look at the United States. We pour so, 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 so many billions of dollars into our military. Trillions. Oh, well, trillions. Yes, sorry. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what I was (laughs) thinking. Yeah, right? Billions. Uh, That's that's nothing. So small. (laughs) Trillions. So much more than any other country, than so many other countries combined do. Yet. People don't have enough money to pay for their medications. People are unsheltered. People can be severely malnourished, you Mm -hmm. know, like in the United States. But we have the biggest military in the world. Exactly. And then my my last small point is just the idea that Margot had to read a bedtime story for Fomar. Oh my god. No. Because it just, again... (laughs) makes me question how old this person is but also how he's treated in this society whether this is something that is regular for boys his age whether it's because he's a prince whether it's because he's a weirdo prince (laughs) i don't know but um yeah just uh another one of those lines is just like this or was this this guy of margot's own making because he wants to you know Mm. have sex or whatever and she's like no it's our earth tradition to read bedtime (laughs) stories you know i can see that too that's hilarious yeah (laughs) she finds the most boring book she possibly can so that he'll fall asleep exactly (laughs) this isn't the most boring book But growing up, two of my younger cousins would come stay with us sometimes in the summer. And kids want to keep staying up late, later than they're supposed to, and all of that. And so my oldest sister was like, okay, we'll read you a bedtime story. And then brought out Lord of the Rings, which is just not on the level of like a five and three year old and so that would put them to sleep i bet it would that's hilarious but now uh what one of them <laughs> listener of our podcast loves lord of the rings so maybe it's because of our tactics mm-hmm. yeah drills into that subconscious <laughs> exactly <laughs> amazing yes well let's head into our next segment on themes and schemes what do you have I thought there was kind of like an interesting flip of the theme that you had mentioned previously in this season with parents that are disappointed in their children. Mm. Because here we have Frey, towards the beginning of the episode, talking to Elliot and saying, I can tell that you're trying to be a good father. It's kind of sweet. I may grow to despise you less. So she's seeing that he's trying Mm -hmm. (laughs) even if he's not quite succeeding because she can see that he's trying so hard yeah but then she discovers the fairy eggs and she is incredibly disappointed in her father and so yeah i just thought it was kind of an interesting flip and elliot trying quite hard for him in the midst of these negotiations to weigh both the needs of Fillory, the needs of him and Margot as these monarchs that are being used by the fairies and weigh Fenn's feelings about it and Frey and their connection and him saying that he can't be the dad that turns his back on his kid. Yeah. And having seen a little glimmer of what his dad was like. Exactly. Where we had seen different parents be disappointed in their kids in this season Elliot is trying to have his kid not be disappointed in him which I think is yeah just interesting totally I think another big theme is what Julia says to Alice after Alice has transferred the magic back yeah and she talks about why she's having the PTSD flashbacks of Reynard and that she actually doesn't think it's connected to the magic it's that it happened at all she says when things happen they leave a mark figuring out how to deal with it takes time and i think that that's a big theme within the series Mm -hmm. uh, for so many characters katie penny (laughs) alice uh, elliot and 
his father and the trauma from that relationship. So I think that, yeah, we see that coming out in a lot of different ways. And especially with the beginning of the entire series, that quote from Elliot about magic doesn't come from talent, it comes from pain. Yeah, this idea that it doesn't have to just come from pain and you just stay in that painful place, but figuring out what to do with the pain that you have from whatever source it came from takes time and it's taking our characters time mm-hmm. and they make many mistakes along the way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's one of the, the great strengths of this show that it really gives that time for character development, you know, for them to figure things out and learn how to deal with the things that have happened to them and that this is not an overnight change Mm -hmm. that it's not just one episode they're like this then this thing happens and now they're like this but it's people go back and forth yeah quentin isn't just getting better sometimes he backslides and is still problematic uh great example of which he finally finally after getting out of the abyss and when the depression monster was talking to him about like how many people are going to suffer for your heroics Mm -hmm. like how many people are going to get hurt and are you willing to hurt everyone around you so that you can feel better he finally started to bring some of that into questioning what they were doing and obviously it was coming out as a lot of stress for him Mm -hmm. but when he was talking to poppy and he says everything we're doing if it goes wrong, it's not just me that suffers. So he's finally thinking about how his actions could negatively impact other people for this quest, for what he thinks should happen, which is bringing magic back. Mm-hmm. And then he just goes and has sex with someone who he knows is super unethical, he doesn't even like, and ignores his problems once again Mm -hmm. it's like you were finally starting to bring those (laughs) questions into your real life to consider them and then you just take the easy way out um Mm -hmm. but again not that that's unrealistic for him and and his character but it's also like ah quantan Exactly. Yes. So uh, these things take time. <laughs> Too much time for yes. him, but you know. <laughs> yeah, but I, I definitely also saw that as a, a really important line from this episode. Totally. And then the last one that I was really loving here is just a continuation of Margot's journey yeah. as a monarch. Elliot is second-guessing their plan of extortion and is it going to work and maybe this isn't good and he says i don't want to leave but if we're making things worse here then maybe we should regroup wait until magic comes back and then you know but Margot is saying no Mm -hmm. we're not going to abandon this plan we're not going to abandon fillery until we bring magic back she is a monarch with or without her magic, which I think is just awesome, especially in a show called The Magicians. Yeah. And she says, there wasn't a blood test to tell me to be high queen. I chose it. And I have had to fight for every shred of authority. And no offense, but you can't understand because it was handed to you. And I just love her standing her ground as she has fought for every shred of authority, she gets stronger mm-hmm. in her resolve and in her confidence and in her intolerance of people treating her like she doesn't have that authority, treating her like a pawn, treating her like something, you know, from a few episodes ago, something to control or hump or mary or any of these things here she would rather stay and try to manage this kingdom under constant threat by someone who cut her eye out than abandon her kingdom because she took this role she takes it seriously she committed to it and she's gonna follow through with it Mm. 
even if not always maybe with the best methods, even though, yes, she still is a person from Earth coming here and having that position. But yeah, she has such a strong commitment to it. And even to her friend, which I love, she's going to call out that you don't understand yeah. why I have this level of resolve because it was handed to you and it wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to undo all of the work that I have put in all of the effort and tears and frustration and fending off little murderer boys <laughs> and everything, <laughs> losing her eye that she's had to go through years of this at this point and yeah i just i love that about her and i think it's a continuation of this theme that i think is really about her this season about yeah what it means to be a leader or a monarch yeah a great margot episode and her ambition coupled with that resolve and, and determination mm -hmm. is so amazing because it's not just an ambition of like self-serving power, but it's an ambition that she needs to push her through all the barriers to doing what she thinks is best. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, clearly she's not a queen of Hillary for the good life, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but she's there to help her friends, to help magic, to help Elliot in particular. And she's grown into this is who I am. Mm -hmm. And she, yeah, she's going to fight for it to the, to the end, which uh, she does to the end of this episode. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As we discussed. I'm your queen, you motherfucker. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah. What oh, a great character. Margo. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I like what you said there, that she has the ambition to push her through. Because I think Elliot really does care mm -hmm. about Fillory and Fillorians. But he never had the ambition. He didn't want to be the king. He's done it. Because he feels it's his responsibility, yeah. but he doesn't have that extra drive to make it happen when it's all falling apart in the same way that she does. Exactly. But what about you? What themes and schemes were you thinking about? One that kind of popped out to me this episode was just the idea that like secrets are starting to be revealed, mm. but that often comes with repercussions. You know, we've talked about consequences as an important theme for the show in the past. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, we start seeing a lot of the mysteries of the show starting to be resolved or, or to at least move forward in the information that our characters have. And that isn't just, oh, well, now we have the next step on our journey. But it means that they have to deal with the repercussions of that. So, you know, obviously the idea of Felorians learning about the... Fairy Queen's control over Margot and Elliot is helping them, you know, is helping Florians to know what they were dealing with, to know that it wasn't entirely their fault that they were asking for all of these ridiculous tasks and, and things like that. But that doesn't necessarily just mean that they're all going to be understanding mm -hmm. and forgiving of that because they also see, yeah, these two earthling monarchs who are just rolling over and doing what the fairies want and helping them to do these hurtful things to society and you know all these mm -hmm. other ways that can this can be perceived we also find out the secret of Frey's parentage that Frey is not actually their biological child mm -hmm. and the repercussions to Frey are pretty immediate mm -hmm. um and then fen as we discussed has her response as well i don't remember if this is the end of Frey's journey so i'm hopeful to see more we'll, we'll see another little piece okay but yeah that breaks down this entire plot line that elliot and fen and Frey had and then finally we see the secret of julia's magic in some ways be revealed mm -hmm. that she is not being magically haunted by reynard but is experiencing PTSD. And Alice was able to feel Julia in that magic. 
the magic was belongs to her in a way, in a way that can't be given to someone else. And that maybe alleviates some of the concern over having this magic, but it in no way makes it so that Julia is just okay now, is just comfortable. Mm-hmm. Those secrets, you know, the secret of her magic, uh, or the, the more information she has about this magic, doesn't just get rid of her trauma, doesn't just get rid of her distaste for the magic mm-hmm. coming from Reynard originally, doesn't get rid of her frustration or anger with Our Lady Underground for giving it to her mm-hmm. in the way that she did. You know, all of those things still exist, uh, even as more information is found out. Yeah. And then we get a little bit more information about where Irene McAllister and her family is getting their magic with this white powder that Julia uses. The secretion of a rare magical creature. Mm-hmm. Secret magic from that family is an ominous. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that that is very much helping to show that there are further secrets mm-hmm. uh, that will have repercussions to be revealed. The other theme that I thought was interesting was when Penny says to Katie that he's sorry that they're cursed. The idea of kind of cursed relationships I saw as expanding out from them. I think that they're Mm -hmm. the best example of it as two characters whose circumstances never let just be together. Mm -hmm. Katie fled break bills when it was clear that she was working for Marina. Mm -hmm. Penny had to sign away his life to the library to help Katie. Then he was dying and Katie was trying to help him. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just like they've never just been able to be together. And now he is going back to the underworld and it's unlikely he'd be able to come back. And even if he does, he'll still be just an astral projection. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, even though this is a show where curses are real, (laughs) that's not really what he's saying. He's just saying that society has cursed their relationship, that the the things that they've had to fight against has cursed their relationship. And um, yeah, it's it's just, it's a sad goodbye for two characters who I do really love to see interact. Totally. Yeah. But I also was thinking of whether Quentin might be thinking of him and Alice as a cursed relationship. I'm sure he is. Right? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, where Alice isn't thinking of that, no. but he is. Where, yeah, <laughs> earlier in the episode, he's he's wanting to help her in any way he can, even though she's been like, you need to give me space. <laughs> uh, I'm, I can't be with you when you just want me to be this other version of myself. It, whereas, yeah, I can see Quentin being like, I brought her back to life and we still can't be together. You know, mm-hmm. very, very Quentin way of, of looking at things. Especially when it's his actions that have been cursing their relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Rather than yeah. anything else. Yeah, which I think is a an, it, really interesting contrast in kind of cursed relationships. <laughs> and then I was thinking maybe Elliot, Fren, and Frey might also be hmm. an idea of a cursed relationship. A relationship that was created out of dishonesty, out of a desire to spy on Elliot by the Fairy Queen, but that Fen also played a large part in trying to force so hard to make it so that it was reaching a breaking point um, that it reached. Mm -hmm. And that, in Fen's perspective, perhaps could have been cursed from the start because of how it began. But it also, I think shows, yeah, a different way of looking at a relationship that falls apart. And is that relationship falling apart because of these wider systemic issues or because of the internal dynamics? Yeah, I don't know. I clearly don't have a very, very in-depth thesis about this, but I think there's some interesting, like, (laughs) contrasts in the ways that these relationships fail in this episode. What everyone uh, listening to an entertainment podcast wants, a really in-depth thesis. I mean, I don't mind a really in-depth I know, thesis. I know. I'm like, we don't mind. But <laughs> most listeners are probably like, okay. <laughs> Skip the recap. <laughs> well, let's head into our next segment from another point of view. Whose perspective did you want to discuss? 
Yeah, so I had two kind of shorter ones. Okay. One is Penny. Mm. Because I was annoyed on Penny's behalf that Quentin is asking him to go down to the Underworlds library, all of that. He says, you occasionally stop being a dick when the fate of the world is at stake. And I'm just like, okay, dude, he has saved your life so many times, more than anyone else in this show. And what have you done for him? Exactly. You know? Remember when he took the Vorpal Blade knife for for you in season one? (laughs) Okay, I don't know what you mean by Vorpal Blade, because that's not what it was called. Virgo Blade. (laughs) That's right. Vorpal Blade's from something else. Uh, I'm sure it is. Whatever. The point is... He owes him so many Wookiee life deaths. (laughs) He's the only one. He had to grab the beast. Like He's constantly been risking his life for all of you. Exactly. And you're the one who's always a dick to him. Mm -hmm. Coming to him when you need something from him. Yeah. Remember how he hasn't had magic since the end of season one? (laughs) Yeah, Penny can be mean to Quentin in his words. Totally. But the way that Quentin and everyone else treats Penny is much, much meaner. Much less. I mean, I don't think everyone, but I think Quentin in particular is like, even even at his little toast after he died, (laughs) saying, I think that he pretty much hated me. It's like, this isn't about you, Exactly. So, yeah, I was just, like, feeling how annoyed. I I incinerated my own body so that I wouldn't have to go to the Underworld library. And you're asking me to go back there because you got someone else killed, you know? Yeah, I could just feel his exasperation. Yet, Penny cares about the world. And mm-hmm. he cares about people being able to have magic as well as... The only way out of this situation, this limbo situation for him as this astral projection is to have magic back. Mm -hmm. So he decides to do it. And then he's also finally able to interact with Katie where she's not just angry at him, which must be, you know, nice for him. Yeah. Because he loves her so much. Mm -hmm. Yet she calls him on, you're doing it again. You're throwing your life at a problem to solve it. Yeah. And he is. He has this very bad habit. (laughs) Or maybe it's not a bad habit. Maybe it's a good habit in a way that he's willing to sacrifice himself. Not to be the hero that Quentin wants to be, but just because he feels like that's the right thing to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Then he has to go through this process of kind of saying what he wants to say to Katie in case they don't have time, in case this is the end of their ability to interact. And what he expresses to her is gratefulness, which I think is really telling as well about his character. He says that you're the best thing in my life, short life granted, but I want you to know I don't regret a second of it. And and you know, he's just saying, obviously, we don't love the word crazy. But he says, it's crazy that we lived this long. Mm-hmm. Like, he's grateful even though his life was cut so short. You know, maybe he'll never get to be able to be revived and enter a new body for himself and live longer. Maybe he's just going to be in the underworld or... He doesn't know what will happen, but he chooses for the experiences he's had, even though if we think about everything that he's had to endure the past two and a half seasons, Mm -hmm. he's gone through horrific things. The beast in his mind, trying to get him to kill himself, seeing his mentor kill himself in front of his face, being poisoned, be having his hands cut off, like all of these things that he's had to undergo, he's still grateful. Yeah. Having died in his early twenties, you know? Yeah. And he chooses to have that attitude, which I think is just really admirable. Absolutely. And I think also what's really important here in his choices is that he's taking his story back Mm. because in the last episode, when he was talking with Hyman, he said, 
why is everyone acting like I'm not a part of this story anymore? And Hyman was just like, maybe you should go somewhere, do something else where it's not as painful. It's just like sitting on the sidelines and watching your friends interact with the world in a way that you can't anymore. And so here he's taking that agency back and he's making a decision, even in his disembodied state. He's making a decision that can hopefully impact the world in positive ways, Mm. impact his friends in positive ways, and narratively move the plot forward even from his position, which I like. Absolutely. And so I think it's not only him throwing his life at a problem to solve it, it's him using his life instead of doing nothing. And then the other person that I was thinking a lot about is Alice. Mm. Because she is so desperate to have magic back. She hurt someone who has been kind to her, even when they're going through so much. And just how much that must disturb her. Yeah. Because she has all of the memories of when she was doing monstrous things as a Niffin. Now she can feel the wrongness of that in a way that she didn't when she was a Niffin and doesn't want to be that. And so she transfers the magic back, even though she had previously said to Julia, I would do anything to have it back. Yet we see that she doesn't do that because she is trying to be a better person and maybe in some ways trying, not that she can make amends to all of the different creatures she tortured or murdered or whatnot, but... One of the first things she does when she has that magic is try to make a body for a penny, try Mm -hmm. to do something for someone else. And she expresses to Julia, what do people in limbo do? It's excruciating. And just thinking about this journey that she's been on since she gave up her life for her friends and also to save magic from Martin... And then became completely disembodied magic, then was ripped out of that existence into a body without magic, choices made by other people. Mm -hmm. And then she doesn't have that magic, but she has the memories of all of the things that she's done. And then she finally gets the magic back and is trying to do good with it. And then that magic is killing her. And then she tries to become a magical creature again because she doesn't know how to make sense of life as a human without magic also being raised around magic since her memories began and so her yeah being in this state of limbo in a way that she doesn't know what to do and yet when she sees that she's hurt someone trying to not do that Choosing to not trust herself with the magic and let it go, which I think would be an incredibly difficult decision for her. Yeah, totally. It reminded me actually a lot of Julia when she didn't have her shade Mm. and how she looked back logically on the things that she had done and knew that she should have felt bad about them. And so she tried to change her behavior to think about, yeah, what would Quentin do? Or how would Quentin think about me doing this? Or having Katie be her conscience. Like, she also was struggling with, yeah, okay, what does it mean to live responsibly in this kind of life? So I can imagine Julia, when Alice is talking to her, and and just as she's been around Alice, has kind of really connected with her as she has also experienced what it's like to not have the shade and then to gain it back and how things change in that way. And yeah, I think it's it's a really telling aspect that Alice instinctually, angrily used magic against Julia mm-hmm. offensively and then off screen even made the decision to give the magic back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a... I think both of them have had to deal with a distrust of themselves and a desire to do what's best, even if what's best does isn't what comes naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But what about you? Who's your POV? I want to talk a bit more about Elliot. Elliot. Because, yeah, I think Elliot 
is really interesting here as a character who is unsure of what to do. Mm. And it's a great contrast to Margot, who is so sure of things. <laughs> uh, you know, we talked about a couple episodes ago when she was unsure of herself. She was talking to Jane about how she wasn't a leading role, how she was a background character or what have you, didn't have any power. Here, thankfully, we've seen Margot regain a lot of that determination but Elliot is not as confident in any of the things that he's doing. Uh, you know, both in the great conversation he has with Margot, which which you were talking about earlier, about, you know, she is saying she's not going to give up their positions. But she only says that after he says, maybe we should cut our losses, because what if they're making things worse? Mm-hmm. And... It goes back to this idea of Elliot wanting to be helpful, wanting, feeling responsible. And it's not the same as Quentin's depression monster telling him, you just make things worse mm-hmm. and focusing on the negative. I think Elliot actually is concerned that this might be the case. Yeah. He is concerned that, you know, what if us doing this actually isn't helping anyone? Should we even keep trying if what we're doing is harmful? And as someone who asks those kinds of questions a lot, uh, I find that really, really compelling and, and one of the, the strengths of Elliot as a character. Absolutely. And I love how when Margot says that she's not just going to hand over her title after all the work she's done, that he immediately says, well, then he's in. Mm-hmm. He's going to be in it because he's going to help her and because he, he cares about her. I love that even though he's the High King and in Fillory, that puts him as a higher position than Margot. Here, he's following her lead. She is the leader of the two of them in what they're doing next. And he is behind it. He's doing it. But he also had those questions and he had to be motivated in order to continue on that path. So, yeah, he helps extort the Fairy Queen, (laughs) you know. And, yeah, it's extortion to help people. And that uh, is, you know, a very funny and and difficult place to be in when you're a king like that. Uh, Robin Hood-esque. Yeah, exactly. And then that's, I think, paired with this other side of him trying to be a good father and not knowing what to do there (laughs) most of the time. Him saying, yeah, as you mentioned, that he can't be the dad who turns away from his kid which, yeah, I also read as, like, his dad did to him. Mm-hmm. And, like, his whole family and his whole community did to him. That they didn't accept him, love him, because of a an inherent part of himself. And he's not going to do that to Frey. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, he's he's trying. He's not always succeeding. But he wants to be a better parent than what he had as parents. And he also recognizes that he doesn't always live up to that. Uh, when he's talking to Fen, he he says that Fen deserves much better and that he was a shitty father and a shittier husband. Which I'm kind of like, might be a little strong, Elliot. Yeah, I, I think that this is another element of Elliot that I appreciate. That again, it's not Quentin's self-hatred in as much as it's a understanding of how he has been imperfect Mm -hmm. and a taking responsibility for that. I'm sure that there's also a lot of pain and guilt involved in that for him and what he's feeling. But I just appreciate how strong a character he is through his questioning of himself and his actions. Mm -hmm. Because so often characters are seen as strong when they are that determined, when they are sure of themselves. And I think that, yeah, a a real strength is someone who's willing to challenge themselves uh, and not just assume that they're right. Mm -hmm. And that's just something I love about Elliot as a character. Something that's very uh, refreshing in a cis male character, you know? (laughs) Totally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Could use a lot more of that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things that makes Elliot great. Yeah. All right, well, why don't we wrap this up by revisiting the title? What do you think about poached eggs? 
Yeah, I mean, I find it amusing. It is a very Margot title. Mm-hmm. And since it's a big Margot episode and this whole extortion is a big part of what's happening, yeah, I, I think it works. It, yeah. it feels very magicians. Absolutely. You know I love some wordplay. <laughs> the fact that they are both poached and that they're stolen mm-hmm. and threatening to be poached as in cooked yes. and killed. Uh, very, very clever. So, yeah, I like it. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up this week's discussion. So what's happening next time on The Magicians? So we are going to be on episode eight, six short stories about magic, where Penny reconnects with some old friends. Plural. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And you hope that you'll join us on Patreon so that you can help support the show and come attend our monthly Zoom meetings. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek Geek out. out!